from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Happy Monday. Today's February 6th. Today is the birthday of the late, great Ronaldus Magnus. Uh, that would be President Ronald Reagan. And, um, you know, he, he's one of the, I'd say, politicians or thinkers or influencers uh, that I think really um, helped me to understand how government ought to work. So always a big hat tip and a salute to Ronald Reagan on his, uh, what would have been his birthday. And... Of course, by now you've heard that the, uh, I'm calling it a blimp, but it's really a spy satellite or a spy uh, balloon, excuse me, uh, was was taken down. And of course, they waited until it was, you know, very far away to take it down. And then they took it down and they made sure that they you couldn't find anything that was left of this thing. So we're going to get to that. But there was also a bunch of stories about how this isn't the first time this has happened. Shoot. You know, Biden actually had a, a better um, record on, on these spy balloons than Trump did. And I know many of us are scratching our heads saying, say, what? what does Trump have anything to do with this? He's been gone forever. It was Biden that let this thing, A, enter our airspace, and B, not do anything about it. He's saying, well, you know, I think he said on Wednesday he gave the order to take it out. If so, maybe, who knows? And it doesn't happen until Saturday. And it's interesting to me because... It didn't happen in a number of days. And why didn't it happen? So we're going to get into some of that uh, in a little bit. I also want to get into what we can expect in tomorrow's State of the Union address. Obviously, we're going to see Biden all but breaking his arm, patting himself on the back, telling America what a great job he's doing while Americans are saying, you know, I'm going to take shorter and shorter vacations if I'm taking vacation at all. I'm going to go to, you know, somewhere local as opposed to, you know, Tuscany or something like that because people are earning um, you know, uh, money, but they're earning less because of inflation. So we'll have a member of Congress on with us uh, in a little bit to discuss some of that. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the Manhattan District Attorney's Office because they uh, yet again are bringing some charges against Trump. They're investigating Trump. And it's interesting that they have one of Hillary Clinton's old lawyers, Mark Pomerantz, uh, they brought him onto the team to prosecute Trump. And he also has a book that's out right now, or forthcoming, and it's about, you know, in, in, in many ways, about this same topic. <laughs> and uh, even the, the head of the, uh, I guess it's the Council of District Attorneys, uh, his name, J. Anthony Jordan, uh, he even weighed in and said a few things that were, you know, detrimental to Mr. Pomerantz. Uh, with a quote here, and by, by the excuse me, by the way, his official title is President of the District Attorneys Association of the State of New York. He says, by writing and releasing a book in the midst of an ongoing case, the author is upending the norms and ethics of prosecutorial conduct and is potentially in violation of New York criminal law. Again, that's J. Anthony Jordan, President of the District Attorneys Association of, of the State of New York. So that's what's happening in New York. Meanwhile, uh, 
we have uh, spy balloons that are just uh, hanging out, doing their thing, and then they want to say, well, the real issue here is that this happened in the past and uh, Trump did nothing about it. And there were tweets coming out over the weekend uh, alluding to as much. Some people saying, you know, Trump uh, got defeated by this by these things three different times. And, uh, of course, the... With the uh, the the current administration being um, you know uh, top gun over here taking them down, and obviously that couldn't be further away from the truth. So the the story uh, as as it unfolded over the weekend was that this has happened before. It's nothing new. Trump did nothing. Yada yada yada. Meanwhile, the heads of intelligence, you know, the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. Uh, he, he was on the news this weekend, and he was saying things that were completely opposite of what we had been hearing from CNN and others. So I just think it's it's very interesting how they, they put this whole narrative out, uh, which seems to be completely fabricated, right? Um, and I'm looking at this piece in, uh, in hotair.com, and it says, while the Biden partisans pushed this story hard over the weekend, the uh, the truth eventually came out. It wasn't Biden, uh, you know, one O or Trump O uh, and three. No, not at all. It, it was um, it was quite the opposite. So now they're saying that you know, well, and the way the the way they did the pivot of the the Trump was the 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 weak one here was that they're saying that they found out about the balloons that had entered uh, the country's orbit after Trump had already left the White House that it happened and nobody knew, which is interesting, right? I mean, it's interesting to think that, that such a thing could happen, that nobody in the intelligence community would know and that nobody would tell anybody that that this is actually happening. So they happen to magically discover these things after the fact. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but I want you to hear a former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. Uh, he was on, I think it was Fox News Sunday, and he, um, he explained his side of the story, which to me makes a whole lot more sense when you get the report directly from him, who was the director of national intelligence. At the time, they're saying that this actually happened. Listen to this. And the Department of Defense is claiming that uh, there were three balloons, Chinese spy balloons, that entered the United States airspace during the Trump administration and that they were not shot down and they were not disclosed. Can you please tell us the truth and if that's true? Well, it's not true. I can I can refute it. Um, uh, former Secretary of Defense uh, Mark Esper refuted it yesterday. Sec former Secretary of State and CIA Director Mike Pompeo has refuted it. But Maria, the American people can refute it for themselves. Um, uh, do you remember during the Trump administration when uh, photographers on the ground and commercial airline pilots were talking about a uh, spy balloon over the United States uh, that people could look up and see even with the, with the naked eye and that a media that hated Donald Trump wasn't reporting? I don't remember that either because it didn't happen. There you go. It didn't happen. And again, why would I believe him versus uh, believing the folks that are coming out now that uh, shot this thing days after it had already done what it was doing um, in, in many worlds, in many minds, in many worlds, in many situations, likely completing its mission is for that reason uh, alone. Uh, on Friday, we spoke with General Blaine Holt, and he explained that in his entire career, he never thought this would even happen, let alone um, the fact that it's happening right now and the way it did and that it wasn't shot out of the sky. So uh, to me, it makes all the sense in the world that this is just the Biden folks trying to say, oh, no, 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 we've seen this before. 
And, uh, and you know, our guy actually shot it out of the sky. So, huh, tough noogies. I don't buy it for a second. I think it's fake. It's phony. It's fraud. I think we're going to see Joe Biden uh, trying to um, harp on a victory with that at tomorrow's State of the Union. And we um, are scheduled to have uh, Representative Beth Van Dyne, Congresswoman BVD, who uh, clashes on a regular with AOC, and she's on the House Ways and Means Committee. She's scheduled to be with us straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. We're going to talk about what we could expect and more right here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. And uh, if you want to join the conversation here, the number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And our guest is Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, Texas's 24th District. Congresswoman, welcome. Hey, welcome. I appreciate you having me on. So congratulations, by the way. Thank on, you. Uh, on the show. How's it going? Well, I, it's so far so good. It's about to get better tonight because we've got Representative BVD on. So I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> you bet. Uh, I, I, I've seen you on Newsmax. I know you do a good job. You came highly recommended. And I know you've got your finger on the pulse of so many of these issues. And, uh, we, you know, last week we spent some time talking about some of the members of the squad, in particular Ilhan Omar and how she got booted off of the the um, House Foreign Affairs Committee, and uh, and there was so much uh, discussion there. So maybe we'll, we'll get your take on that in a little bit. But what I want to really get into is a preview of what you think, you know, you being in Washington and seeing what's going on, how you feel, you know, what I said earlier was I think we're going to see more of the same from Biden, which is him maybe not so much breaking his arm, but all, all but breaking his arm, patting himself on the back, telling us how great of a job he's doing. And what a hero he is for shooting this spy thing out of the uh, out of the air, uh, albeit a, a week late and whatnot. So, um, what do you think he's going to harp on tomorrow? Oh well, I think he's just going to go on and on about what a great job he has done with the economy and with the inflation and with economic growth. And if anybody, we just got back. I was in a Ways and Means uh, hearing today, and you know, we we got outside of D.C. We went to West Virginia. And we heard Mm -hmm. directly from people who are experiencing this great economy. And they were saying how they couldn't afford health insurance, how they were having to let people go from their businesses, how the inflation has has just thrown a a rocket through whatever kind of financial security they had. And I asked Mm -hmm. the question, I said, you know, you you hear Biden, you know, last week talking about how he inherited this and he's turned it around. He's done all this. Do you feel that that's happening? And they said, without every single one, four, four witnesses said, absolutely not. And I said, do you feel like the, the um, policies that you're seeing coming from his administration are addressing the issues and the priorities and the pain that you're feeling? And without question, all of them said no. So I think tomorrow what you're going to see is him take, again, more credit for what's happening with the economy and for the growing numbers. You're going to, you're going to talk about the 500,000 jobs that were added last month. 
But what you're not going to hear him say is where those jobs went. He won't talk about the vast majority of the country's job growth is occurring because of Texas, like right mm. here at home, you know, that operate, which operates completely opposite of how this administration works. You know, and just for perspective, by the way, if you consider that, you know, the area that I represent is District 24, North Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. The Dallas-Fort Worth area alone, alone, added more jobs this last year than 46 states. And it accounted for about 36% of Texas' net gains. And then if you look at from February 2020, if you look at the net gains, in Texas, I mean, I'm sorry, the net gains across the country, 60% of them were from Texas. Why? Because you look at our pro-growth, you look at our positive business environment, you look at the fact that we don't have a state income tax. Those are exactly in the face of the policies that this Biden administration is, is creating. So I think you're going to hear him take a lot of credit for things that are happening because of the great state of Texas in those conservative values and policies. Amigos, we are on with uh, Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, BethForTexas.com. Congresswoman, uh, I think you bring up a remarkable point. And this is interesting to me because, you know, obviously this is Biden always harping on the same thing, saying, you know what, we're, we're in a, um, a time of slow growth uh, with GDP and whatnot. We have inflation. Uh, but no, we're not going to go into a recession because we have such great job growth. And and I think, you know, there is always uh, like the late great Paul Harvey used to say, you know, we need to know the rest of the story. And I think you just alluded to it yeah. in that um, th- there are some pro growth states with Texas um, being one of them, obviously, uh, that are, are leading the pack here, showing that if you break away from these Biden styled policies, you can actually have growth and you can see things boom. And we've seen it in Texas and we've seen it in Florida and we've seen it in other states where they embrace, um, you know, policies that make sense. And. We're not going to hear that from from President Biden. I agree with you on that one. Um, but do you think that the the media ever will actually do what they're and I, I say the media, not not all of the media, but the, I guess the left within the media. Uh, do you think they're ever going to report that story? I don't. I don't think it plays well. You know, I think they they continue to coddle their listeners um, in a way that is not only disingenuous but also dangerous. Um, you've got people who are not hearing all of the information, and, and you're seeing it reflected in the polls. I mean, look at the last you know, midterm elections. How can anybody not figure out that they're paying so much more at the pump? We've got 40 percent. Uh, I mean, sorry, 40 year um, um, growth in um, or you know 40 year high in inflation. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're looking at how much more you're paying just to get gas in your car or at the grocery store. You are seeing businesses unable to hire because we're paying people more money to stay at home than to take a job. And yet most people are not hearing that. You know, most people are hearing lies that we're hearing from Biden himself. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. He's going to scream at Republicans because they want to cut Medicare and Social Security. So he has, you know, um, grandparents around the country freaked out that that Mm -hmm. is what Republicans doing. When in fact, it's been Democrat policies that have cut Medicare over 10 times in the last four years, 14 years, 10 times. So I'm actually putting together a bill that identifies that. You know, Republicans are not the ones that are depleting the resources. We're actually trying to save Medicare. We're trying to save Social Security. 
But we see things like the Inflation Reduction Act. We see um, other bills that they are passing. Um, you know, they're uh, pretty much pretty much partisan bills that are stealing money away from those programs that are most in need of support, um, most counted on by by large populations. And then then they are the Biden administration and other Democrats are turning around and they're pointing the finger at Republicans. You know, I really look at this. We've got two competing visions for the future of our country. You know, Democrats believe in like this massive government expenditures and programs. You know, it, it, there is a is a path to manage decline that emphasizes that emphasizes on dependence on government and on programs. And then you've got Republicans that are embracing innovation, expansion, and they want to trust um, American exceptionalism and workers. And we're trying to deliver policies that help people invest in themselves. And I think you're going to see those competing. Um, paths forward. Um, and it would be great if the, the, the media market, you know, especially that those like CNN and MSNBC actually told the whole story. You know, we want to empower people. We don't want them reliant on the government. And I think those are two drastically different ideals that you're only hearing one side of and only a benefit of. But I think there is an amount of, of, of power in employment. And people used to find that um, you know, empowering to sure. be able to leave generational wealth to your kids by home ownership. And you know, in the last several years of, of, of a Democrat-run Congress and Democrat-run Senate and Democrat-run um, presidency, we've just seen that disabled. And so, you know, it'll be interesting what, what the president says tomorrow. But I can tell you that I'm working with a great team that is fighting to recognize that innovation of the American people and to respect the American worker and to try to empower them more. All right, everybody, we're on with uh, Representative Beth Van Dyne, Texas 24th District. You can get her at BethForTexas.com. Congresswoman, uh, straight ahead, I want to ask you a little bit about the migrant parole program, as it's called, where illegal aliens are allowed to come into the country and then released uh, in many ways, and they're calling it parole, uh, which to me sounds like a, just an unconstitutionally legal type of hustle to, to the to the people, especially the people in Texas. It's sad. And I also want to get your take on what's going on with this IRS funding boost. So uh, stick with us. Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne returns with me, Rich Valdez, straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. With an S. Are you confident we're going to avoid default and have this debt limit showdown resolved? 
America has paid all of its bills on time since 1789, and not to do so would produce an economic and financial catastrophe. And um, every responsible member of Congress um, must agree to raise the debt ceiling. It's something that simply can't be negotiable. And while it, sometimes we've gone up to the wire, it's something that Congress has always recognized their responsibility needs to do again. That is uh, Janet Yellen, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, on uh, Good Morning America this morning with George Stephanopoulos. And it seems to me that um, she, you know, she's saying that we're paying our bills on time and I'm seeing, and I don't know if you all agree, but I'm seeing an America with figuratively an open border, uh, an America where people are, are, are still, uh, economically suffering and an America where the government is using the IRS to strong arm people out of their hard earned dollars. So let's continue our conversation with Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne out of Texas 24th district. Congresswoman, how do you respond to something like that? Well, you know, it's frustrating. I've been here for two years now, and I've seen the trillions of dollars of spending the Democrats have put forward and have passed. And Republicans, including me, have been arguing we don't have the money. We do. We cannot afford these massive trillion-dollar bills that you are passing. And now all of a sudden the bills come in time to get paid, and they're like, oh, we have to be responsible. Okay, the time to be responsible is before you pass those bills. Mm-hmm. You know, before you charge up your credit cards, that's the time to be responsible, not to pay the bill once it comes. And, you know, I just feel like we have been you know, throwing our heads against a brick wall now for a number of years, warning them that this is going to happen. And then it's finally here. And all they're saying is we have to do the same thing we've always done is continue to spend money. We can prioritize the bills that we pay. We can prioritize that. We can stop new new spending. We can start looking at fraud and abuse and where we have wasted money. We're going to have a hearing on Wednesday that's looking at unemployment um, abuse and how those benefits were abused over the last several years. And that's anywhere between, you know, guesses in the government of $60 billion and $400 billion. What other waste, fraud, and abuse do we have? So before all your answer is, well, just increase, you know, how much we're, 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 we're charging and how much our deficit is, why don't we look at how we're spending the money and do it responsibly? Every one of us has a budget at home. Every business has a budget. And that question came out today in our, in our Ways and Means hearing. You know, if you spent more than you brought in, what would happen to your business? It would go out of business. That's right. You know, the country has to start looking at that the same way. And you brought up, you know, you brought up what's happening at our border. I mean, you look at at December, that was the worst month in American history for illegal immigration. We had over a quarter of a million illegal immigrants encounters and 10% of thousands of known gotaways, thousands of known gotaways. But unfortunately, like what what Republicans see as a disaster, the Biden administration, people like Chuck Schumer see as a tremendous success. I mean, they want the border overrun. They want our laws ignored. And so instead of right now figuring out how we can control the border – I mean, this administration is actively empowering drug cartels. And I have said this before, but they are serving as logistical transportation support. And they're supporting narco slavery. They're supporting trafficking in illegal immigrants around this country. When, when, when people come in here illegally, and these are the ones that we, that we catch or they come to us, 
and we are just sending them by plane, by bus, all around our country. We are enabling, we are empowering, we are enriching drug cartels and human smugglers and sex traffickers. I mean, look at the look at the reports that we've seen already. You know, ABC did a story uh, up in Oregon where they found um, hundreds of illegal marijuana fields that were being operated by slave labor. So when people come to the border, this is where they're being sent. The people were held at gunpoint, and they were worked sometimes until death. You've got you know sex trade that's going around across the country. You've got tens of thousands of women and young girls that are being prostituted by the cartels. And, and there was a Midwest pe- uh, meatpacking plant that had 50 illegal immigrant minors, some as young as 13, that were wow. working the graveyard shift at a slaughterhouse. And on top of this, I mean, you've got, you know, new what, what ABC referred to as narco-slavery. You know, this past over 107,000 Americans died of drug overdoses. 67% of those were from opioids like fentanyl. And we also know that it's being laced into everything from cocaine to Adderall. I mean, just in my own backyard in Carrollton, it was a, it was an article yesterday in the paper that there was a drug house that killed three students and hospitalized six from fentanyl. Wow. And this is stuff that's coming in over our border. We know where it's coming from, but we've got an administration that refuses to identify that's a problem. We've got a, a border czar that won't even get down there. And then the simple solution is, why don't you just enforce the laws that we currently have? This is not a huge, massive immigration reform that we have to have. It's enforce the laws that are currently on the book, the books. Within 30 days, we could have this solved. You know, return people when they start coming here illegally, return them before they enter. Don't give them a plane ticket. Don't give them a bus ticket to enter any place in the, in the country. Send them back. Allow them to apply for asylum, and the less than 10% that actually would, would, would be able to come over here asylum, then let them in. But it's really difficult to argue this with a party that doesn't see there be a problem. I agree with you. Uh, I, I think not only do they not see it being a problem, I think that they're just kind of facilitating this because they think it's the right thing to do because there's some sort of social justice component or there's some sort of political benefit to it. Uh, Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, 24th District in Texas, BethforTexas.com. Congresswoman, uh, in the final word to you, uh, I'm going to thank you for being here, and I also want you to let everybody know how they could follow you on social media. Well, we've got, obviously, uh, we have official and campaign accounts on Facebook, Beth um, Beth Van Dyne. Also, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Our website is BethForTexas.com. We have a newsletter. You know, if people are wondering what we're doing up here in Congress, you know, because we're not necessarily passing bills, they can see their, the uh, response time immediately. If they're wondering the bills that I'm sponsoring, the bills that I'm writing, um, interviews that we're having, op-ed pieces that we're, that we're coming out with, uh, sign up for my website. Uh, sign, sign up for our newsletter. So go to bestfortexas.com, and we'd love to be able to, to communicate exactly what we're doing every day that we're working for the hardworking people of North Texas. Well, thanks for working for the people in Texas and for everybody across the country in Congress on the House Ways and Means Committee and everything else that you're doing, Congresswoman. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, and congratulations again. Thank you so much.
All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue this discussion on what's going on. What can we expect from Joe Biden at tomorrow's State of the Union address? Plus a couple other things I want to get uh uh, off my chest and onto the airwaves, so we'll talk about that as well. Plus, uh, your calls, 833-482-5337. That's 833-4-VALDES. Looking forward to chatting with you. And we're also going to get into um, what's going on in China. What was the deal behind this shooting down of the balloon? We're going to get with an expert on China uh, at the top of the hour as well. So don't miss that. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. I think the way that we should look at this is uh, what we saw from the midterms, right? I think that's a big, really important uh, uh, point there where the president laid out the policy, right? He's the one that laid out the policy for senators and congressional members uh, to, to really have a, a, a midterms that did not lead to a red wave. All right, that is Karine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, and that is her defense here uh, to, you know, what is going on with President Biden seeking re-election or not. And it seems, I mean, there's story after story coming out that people are just not hopeful in Biden. It seems that they're also not hopeful in Vice President Harris either. Um, You know, this is one of those things. Now, that doesn't mean people won't get re-elected. I believe if I'm mistaken, please correct me online at Rich Valdez with an S or um, call the show at 8334-VALDEZ and you let me know that I'm wrong. But using my uh, one of my favorite foils on this program, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, all out crazy herself. When I look at her and I say, you know, she's only passed one bill into a law. And the one bill was a formality in many ways. I think it was a resolution to rename a post office in the Bronx after a a postmaster that worked in that district or, you know, some other federal employee that they named the post office after. That is her claim to fame. It, two re-elections or one, one election and, re, and one re-election. Uh, she's been there for four years and she hasn't achieved anything, not a single. So she's a lawmaker in Washington. She hasn't made a single law. How could we say that anybody is effective if, uh, but again, she's raised more money than, I don't know, it was 2018, 2019, maybe 2020, where um, she had raised more money than anyone else, including Speaker Pelosi. She was like the number one fundraiser in Congress. Fascinating, right? Somebody who's completely ineffective, but yet has all this clout. So when you hear stories that say that, you know, Vice President Harris and, and President Biden are behind the eight ball, that somehow some Democrats are leaking their disdain for Vice President Kamala Harris, que mala eres, I'm reading this in Fox News, and they're leaking this to the press with, uh, you know, some political people arguing openly that she's a major liability for 2024. I say take it with a grain of salt because we said the same thing about Joe Biden when he was, you know, coming out with those crazy campaign ads with the Nazis and the burning torches and whatnot. You know, I thought anybody would see that and say, nah, oh, hell no, we're not getting with this guy. But Lo and behold, there he is, Joe El Baboso Biden, president of the United States. Now, let's say I know that opens up a can of worms. There's a lot of open wounds and people are like, well, you know, there was there was some funny business. 
I understand. Listen, I understand. Bottom line is he's in there, though. He's in there, and and that's where we are. And we could potentially have a situation where Vice President Harris, you know, ascends or, you know, is somehow reelected uh, to one of these these positions. And that's a scary thought to me because as they go on, look, look at the New York Times, listen to this. Harris is struggling to define her vice presidency. Even her allies are tired of waiting. That's a quote from the New York Times from today. And that's because uh, one of the few issues that some Democrats are in agreement on is whether they're allies of the vice president or not. So that's interesting. She's now a litmus test. They're like, well, do you support Kamala? If you do, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> or if you, know, if, if you don't, I won't. It, it's just fascinating to me that that's actually the case and that's what's happening. So uh, I'm interested in knowing your thoughts on that. Um, do we do we see a weakened Vice President Harris? Does Pete Buttigieg uh, somehow step into the arena and overtake her? I don't know, but we're going to see what happens with uh, Biden tomorrow night at the State of the Union. Now, there's a couple of, uh, something I always tell myself I want to do and I don't get to do quite enough of it is uh, looking at this cool calendar. It's the National Day of Calendar. And today is National Frozen Yogurt Day. Yeah, that's a thing, February 6th. It's also National Chopsticks Day. Now, I'll have you know that some of you think, man, that Rich Valdez, he is so cultured. He knows a lot of stuff. God bless you if you think that. But I learned how to use chopsticks this weekend. Uh, I I visited some friends in uh, Miami, Florida for a short trip and uh, went to this place, like this Asian fusion place, uh, like Asian-Cuban fusion, really, really good stuff. It was called Salvaje, just a Spanish word for savage. Really nice place um, and uh, interesting food. They served octopus on a hot stone, still sizzling and whatnot. It was really, really good. But National Chopsticks Day is today, and I now know how to use chopsticks. So I'm really proud of myself about that. And I was telling the producers a little while ago that because of my, um, you know, revelation of using chopsticks on my trip. They mentioned, oh, you were in Florida. Oh, and they sent me a couple of interesting stories. So I'm going to get to those um, straight ahead with you guys because I think you're going to enjoy. These are two funny stories. Plus, I want to get your thoughts on does Harris, you know, become the person? Will Will uh, Joe Biden really nail it at the State of the Union? There's a lot of questions that I have for you guys in the audience. So feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337. And I'm coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. And earlier I was telling you about, um, you know, my uh, I spent the weekend in uh, southern Florida, Miami to be exact. I like Miami Beach. It's one of my favorite places to visit, one of the nicest beaches out there. Even in the 70s, you can get a great tan, uh, you know, and it's just nice weather. Uh, compared to the six or three degrees it was uh, on Friday night when we wrapped up this program, it was, I think uh, it got on the air it was something like 40 degrees, 30 degrees um, when I got off the air. Three hours later, it was like nine degrees, and when I checked again, it was down to like three degrees. So it was, it was uh, really, really cold. I forget what they call that, polar vortex, cold front. I don't know, whatever it was, it was cold. Uh, 
But um, speaking of Florida, with uh, with the crew during the break, and w- uh, one of our producers sends me this this story from Fox thirty five in Orlando that a janitor cleaning an inmate holding cell actually got stuck in that cell for three days um, because she got stuck in there and nobody knew she was in there. A 72-year-old woman who was doing her job cleaning when she accidentally locked herself into a cell in the Orange County Courthouse. That happened in Orlando, Florida. She was there all weekend with no food and no medicine. Oh, poor lady. Uh, Deputies said they found the woman early on Monday morning after seeing her cleaning cart outside the cell. According to the report, the woman was cleaning the holding area on the 23rd floor of the courthouse on Friday when she locked herself inside by accident. And I think about that and I think, man, of all the, the, the people out there, this could have happened to, you know, why'd it have to happen to this lady? You know, why couldn't it, like Joe Biden accidentally like lock himself in a holding cell where, you know, we're like, what happened to Joe? We can't find him. He's got hairy legs. You know, and then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Oh, I locked myself in here. You know, something embarrassing like that, you know, better than high-fiving the Easter bunny or walking into the air and talking and shaking hands with invisible people like we've seen Joe Biden do. It, it'd be something uh, uh, of, of great comic relief <laughs> to, to see that happen. But that's what's happening with that. Now, there's a couple of clips of audio I want to get to. I know we have limited time before we shift gears and uh, welcome our next guest, Gordon Chang, who's uh, an Asia expert. And we're going to get with him in a second to uh, find out, you know, A, his thoughts on this fabricated story that this has happened before and that China's been doing this all along and that Trump did nothing about it. And he didn't know because they just found out, you know, according to them, we just found out today. So we'll get his take on all of that and more. Uh, But I do want to play one of these clips of audio very quickly. Let me pull up my list here. I just flagged it for you because I thought it was important that um, James Clyburn, and now you know him from Congress, he was on MSNBC yesterday and he says, well, you know, I think most Americans will respond very positively to a Biden run in 2024. Listen to this. I'm just wondering, given those numbers, should President Biden reconsider a run for re-election? Well, I hope he announces real soon. I hope he runs for re-election, and I think the country will respond very positively to his candidacy. Well, he thinks everybody's going to, you know why? Because he thinks that Biden is an incredibly capable 80-year-old. Listen to this. What do you say to the folks who say, you know, the guy is is too old is age should age be a consideration or is his his record and tenure in the oval office right now the thing that folks should uh, focus their attention on everything should be considered but what is controlling is what you have to do i have seen a lot of 72 year olds not as capable as this 80 year old Okay. Well, then then there you have it. Uh, I mean, again, look, I'm not saying Biden's too old. I think we've had plenty of old presidents. I think uh, some younger um, energy would be great. But I understand that there are people out there that, you know, can really, really stick to their guns. And it doesn't matter what age they are. They're designed for this. Kind of like, you know, Trump. I think Trump is one of those kinds of people. But, you know, perhaps Biden has that gene, too. I haven't seen it yet. Anyway, more to come. Straight ahead, Gordon Chang is going to join us. We're going to talk about China, all things China, a little bit of Asia, uh, as outside of China, and more. And your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Hour two, straight ahead.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join the conversation. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about how how weak Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are as uh, prospective um, candidates for election to president, vice president, maybe both running for president. You know, she is President Harris, quote unquote, after all. Uh, but... Um, there was a bunch of things that happened over the weekend that we talked about. The death toll of 2,300 now following the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. That was horrible. Uh, we also talked about uh, the story that uh, Trump had ignored spy balloons, and that turned out to be a total lie fabricated by, you know, again, I think the, the left within the media and their counterparts within the government. Uh, that just make things up. And then as it trickles down, like their theory of trickle down, uh, all of a sudden now it's less and less effective, right? So it went from, well, we just found out that this happened when um, after, you know, after President Trump had already left office, we found out this happened three times, et cetera, et cetera. It's just fascinating when you start finding things out after the fact, isn't it? But somebody that understands this um, because he's very familiar, very well-versed on China is Gordon Chang. And he's at Gordon C. Chang on Twitter, by the way. I think my chubby fingers might have uh, mistyped that and I uh, tagged the wrong person in a tweet, so forgive me. But Gordon Chang is, is, a, is a friend. He's an expert on Asia and so many things. He's an author. He's an attorney. And uh, his books include The Great U.S.-China Tech War and The Coming Collapse of China. Gordon Chang, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rich. You bet. So uh, I want to get your reaction to the uh, the story over the weekend. You know, we're, we went through a week or at least half of a week, at least, you know, the last few days of the week talking about this spy balloon that, you know, I, I had a general on the program, General Blaine Holt. I'd asked him, you know, in your career as a general, this ever happened before? He said, absolutely not. Uh, I asked him, do you think if I would have told you maybe in 2018 that we'd be having a conversation about a spy balloon over Montana uh, do you think that would be a realistic, uh, you know, suggestion? He said, no, absolutely not. I never would have thought this would ever happen. Uh, we went through that kind of incredulity for days. And then we have, you know, over the weekend, boom, we've blown it up. We can't recover anything. The whole thing's gone. And then starts the uh, the machine saying, well, you know, this isn't the first time it happened uh, under Trump and he did absolutely nothing. Um, and, and I guess that's where I'll, I'll leave it because that's where we pick up today, Monday. Uh, Gordon Chang, how do you react to all of that? Well, there's so much going on here, both on the China side and the U.S. side. Um, what I think is important now is when was President Biden informed of this? And and apparently the first day he was informed was Tuesday, the 31st. The reason why that's important is because well, he said he wanted to shoot it down and gave the order to do that. But he changed his mind because Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley said, well, if you shoot it down over land, you might 
um, injure people. Um, there would be property damage. And so, okay, that is, in a sense, uh, a reasonable objection. But you've got to remember that this balloon entered U.S. airspace uh, right. on, on January 28th. This is three days before the president was informed. And it traveled over hundreds and hundreds of miles of Alaskan territory, which is uninhabited. And also it traveled over hundreds and hundreds of miles of Canadian territory, also uninhabited, before it reached the lower 48 states. There was plenty of opportunity to shoot down the balloon then. There would have been no risk to people or property. And yet, um, apparently, um, the national security establishment, the Pentagon, did not inform the president. The reason why this is important is because of the reason you mentioned and that is um, the Pentagon yesterday said that there were three incursions during the, the Trump administration. Well, when you talk to Mark Esper, who was Secretary of Defense, um, Mike Pompeo, who was Secretary of State, John Bolton, who was National Security Advisor, and President Trump himself, none of them had any recollection that they were ever informed of a balloon incursion. And indeed, the Pentagon did come clean and said, no, they weren't informed. So really what you have is a um, post of generals and admirals who seem to think that they can make critical national security decisions without reference to um, civilian officials, uh, including the president. This is pretty scary stuff, right? I mean, this is what uh, what we don't want in America, right? It's why we, we have a, a commander-in-chief and to kind of, even if it's Biden, to keep the commander-in-chief out of the loop is scary. And I think it begs the question, who's really calling the shots here, Gordon Chang? Um, apparently, it's the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, they must have been the ones who made the decision. Um, and apparently, if, if if they weren't informed, this even gets worse. Um, but uh, civilian oversight of the military is a core principle in the United States, and that has been violated in this case. You know, um, whatever we think, and, and I have a lot of criticism of the way Biden handled this, but nonetheless, I don't think he's the primary villain here. Um, and the villains are the ones in uniform and the Secretary of Defense. Yeah, sadly, you know, people like to trivialize things and when we talk about the administrative state or, you know, the, the vast strength of, of the bureaucracy, um, some like to call it the deep state. But it's this is a perfect example of how, you know, bureaucrats or, or um, you know, national security folks um, in different places are unilaterally making U.S. policy. And this maybe maybe that's the uh, the way things are done in Washington. But I think most Americans don't expect that to be the way things are done. And, and it really kind of opens uh, – the, the conversation to, wow, we really do have a a quasi or quote-unquote deep state operating uh, in, in our country, and it's scary, and it seems like they're allowing the Chinese to complete their mission before we take any action on this. And that, to me, is the scariest part. Um, so w- with that being said, I think, what what are some of your thoughts on, on the actual um, why they were here? You know, I know you... Uh, you talked about some important clues that this left behind. Yes. Well, from the China side, um, we don't know what the intentions were and why they did this. But there are options that we can run through. Um, 
And one of them is that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, decided that he was going to intimidate the United States um, and show to the world that the U.S. was incapable of defending its own airspace, which is one of the reasons why um, we can't have generals and admirals or even the Secretary of Defense making these decisions, because as valuable as the intelligence that China gathered um, from this balloon, the most important damage to the United States was reputational. Um, and so, therefore, this was a political decision for the President of the United States to make, not even for the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the Secretary of Defense. So, running through those China options, one of them is that um, they intended to make a political lesson and say to the world, look, you can no longer deal with the U.S. because it's totally incapable. Right. You must deal with us. That's one. Another one is that the Chinese military is now so politically powerful that they could just do this on their own. And so they didn't need to get anyone's um, sign-off. And that's also scary. A um, couple other um, possibilities. One of them is that um, the Chinese regime did not want to talk to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who was scheduled to go to Beijing on February 5 mm -hmm. and February 6. And so they decided to create an incident that would prevent it. There's a related theory, and that is that um, the Chinese were so arrogant that they thought they would in, you know, engage in this provocation. Blinken would come anyway, and they would use the balloon trip as a bargaining chip, basically saying to Blinken, you know, we'll stop the balloon flights if you stop your reconnaissance flights, which are along the coast of China in international airspace. You know, um, you know, Rich, I, I can't tell you which one it is, and, and it's right. going to take some time to figure out what their motive was, uh, reasoning was. But the point is, none of these are good, and all of these suggest China wants to go to war. And so we're at one of those particularly dangerous times where China just believes it can do what it wants. It can engage in activities which are extremely provocative and dangerous, which do lead to a war. And if there's a war, Rich, Remember, we will have a war on the western side of the Eurasian landmass. We'd have a war on the eastern side. This is starting to look like World War Three. This is an ugly situation, Gordon Chang. Folks, he's Gordon Chang, at Gordon C. Chang online, if you want to check him out on social media. He's also the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and The Coming Collapse of China. Straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation with Gordon Chang and uh, discuss a little bit of how the United States needs to stand up uh, to the world's largest bully. So don't go anywhere. It's Gordon Chang with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez on with our guest, Gordon Chang. And uh, forgive me, I made a typo here. It's Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Uh, if you want to give him a follow, you should do that. I highly recommend it, at Gordon G. Chang. And again, he's the author of the book, The Great U.S.-China Tech War and the Coming Collapse of China. Uh, Ken in Lansing, Michigan on WILS has a question for Gordon Chang. Ken, go right ahead quickly. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Rich, uh, the 
crazy thing that bothers me is if your guest knows that that balloon was spotted over Alaska in rural parts of Canada, why did they wait for it to float all the way across this country to shoot it down in water? It would be much harder to recover any information, and it might have dropped and hit a moose if they shot it up there. So what, what mm -hmm. am I missing? Thank you, Ken. You're 100% right. I, I agree with you on that. Why didn't we take action? Gordon Chang, what, what's your thought with, with respect to that? Well, Ken is certainly right, because we would have noticed this balloon as it was in international water heading to the Aleutians. Remember, this hit, hit the Aleutians, and then it crossed over into the Alaskan landmass. So there was plenty of time. Um, you know, today we heard uh, from uh, General Glenn Van Herc, who is NORAD commander and commander of U.S. Northern, Northern Command. Mm -hmm. And he was saying he didn't have the authority to shoot it down. And the question is, okay, I can understand that, but then why doesn't he have the authority to do <laughs> yeah. this? So there, there's all sorts of issues here. And the Chinese are looking at this, and so are the Russians and the Iranians and North Koreans, and they're saying, you know, this is a dysfunctional national security establishment, and it's an incapable military and the U.S. is hopeless. And that's a real problem because deterrence was already breaking down, Rich, and now it's mm -hmm. even broken down further. Even though we finally shot it down, we still look feeble. And I think that's, in my opinion, um, I really think that's what China wanted to do was make us look really, really, really weak. Thank you for the call, Ken. Uh, now, Gordon Chang, um, What's your recommendation? I know that um, Speaker McCarthy has had a lot of strong words on standing up to the world's largest bully. Uh, but what's your take on what the American, um, you know, political establishment, the American military, the national security establishment, uh, our, our intelligence people, uh, how do they respond to this? Well, um, first of all, it was good that Secretary Blinken, um, quote unquote, postponed his trip, but it should be permanently canceled. China is in no mood to talk to anybody, and certainly it is not willing to talk in good faith. And unfortunately, the Biden administration wants to reschedule Blinken's trip. Um, that is exactly the wrong thing, because it says to the Chinese that they can do anything they want, and we still are desperate to talk to Beijing. And that's, you know, that uh, feeds into their already inflated sense of self-importance. And that's wrong, because then that makes them even more difficult to deal with. So um, I think that we should break off basically almost all contact with China right now, close their four consulates, strip their embassy staff down to nothing, um, start to go after turfing out their state banks, all of these things, because we say to Beijing, look, this is what we did because of your balloon incursion. Imagine what we will do if you do something again. We need to impose costs. We need to have escalation dominance on them. And basically to say we are going to have a disproportionate response. We will make you pay and you will regret it and you will never do that again. Now, Gordon Chang, as much as I agree with you, why do you think that doesn't happen? Is it a lack of political will? Is it something that maybe I don't know about, that there's a degree of leverage that maybe China has on us? Why would we not uh, take such a strong posture against our biggest, what they like to call adversary, and I'll call enemy? Yeah, I, it is an enemy. It's more than just an adversary. Um, there are a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, um, we're Americans, so we think that we're entitled to be oblivious to what our enemies are doing. Um, also, because still a lot of people in the Biden administration want to engage China. In other words, to 
have cooperative relations. That sounds nice, but the point is that's been our policy for five decades, and especially during the last three, this has produced disastrous results for us. So we need to try something else because we know that we're down, going down the wrong path. And while we're talking about this, mm-hmm. we can see that there is more than just a drift to war. And if we don't change our policies, we will be in a war with China, and we will lose many Americans, and we may even lose our country. We're a far stronger country than China is, but we're not defending ourselves. The Chinese are attacking us, and they are hitting us, and we're not hitting back. So this is, I think, one of the most dangerous times in history, because we just do not understand the viciousness of the Chinese regime and what they're doing. Um, So we need to impose those costs. This is a, a a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, and I agree with you. I think you know, um, and I mean, I would I would make the statement that I think we need to treat the United States the way we treat Cuba, um, and, and it sounds like you're in agreement, and and perhaps then some. What what are some of the um, limitations do you think we should start with on China? Well, close to the four consulates. Um, and we know that they use these consulates to um, undermine our sovereignty. Um, to violate our sovereignty. Um, and they're spying. Um, they're doing all sorts of things. We just don't need that. Um, yes, they'll close our consulates, but they need us more than we need them. And besides, it's important for us to get our um, companies out of China. So if they don't have consular support, that's one more reason why they'll leave. So that's going to be good for us. And, you know, that embassy that they have in Washington, D.C., which has a cast of hundreds, I think we should strip it down to the ambassador and his family. Um, I don't see why we need to have all of those spies housed in Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C. Um, in their state banks. We know their state banks launder money for China's fentanyl gangs. That's a mm-hmm. violation of our um, money laundering rules. We'll close those banks down. Just make China pay because we know they use every point of contact to try to destroy our society. If we remove those points of contact, we can then figure out um, how to survive this relationship because we're not surviving it now. Well put. Folks, we're on with Gordon G. Chang. Get his books, get two copies, give one to a friend. The Great U.S.-China Tech War and the Coming Collapse of China. Gordon Chang, the music means they're kicking me out of here, but I want to thank you for joining me tonight, sir. And thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it. Likewise, hope to see you and Lydia at CPAC really soon. And folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. It's me, Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I wanted to uh, dig into a little bit of what's going on with climate policy here. Um, we have Donna Jackson. She's the Director of Membership Development for Project 21 and the Black Leadership Network of the National Center for Public Policy Research. And she recently um, testified before 
Congress, the Energy and Commerce Committee, because there was a hearing on the American energy expansion and how you would strengthen the American economy, the environment, and national security. And this is something where I think we hear so much of it in the news, but we never really get the other side of the story. So here to get that uh, to us is Donna Jackson. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, likewise, likewise. So this is something that, I mean, I see stuff in the news all the time, as we all do. And, you know, a lot of times I think when it comes to climate, at least I can tell you for me, I look and I go, here we go again with, you know, some of uh, the more fanatical, uh, I call them climate crazies, but I'll try and be nicer and say environmental activists within Congress uh, that um, are going off the deep end again, kind of like Congresswoman AOC, who I like to call all out crazy, who said that the world was going to end in 12 years and whatnot. And we see this hyperbolic cry for help and then nothing happens. And so I kind of tend to like rule it out like white noise, but but it's not white noise because it's really making an impact when there's, you know, billions of dollars coming out of the budget. And that makes a, a huge effect, obviously, on American families and, and our overall national budget. So Donna Jackson, tell us what's going on. You know, it's it's a lot bigger than most people think. Um, you you have Congress right now proposing legislation for every appliance in your house, from your washer, your dryer, uh, heaters, furnace, and what they're doing on the, in the name of climate is creating all, forcing consumers into on demand appliances. So that from some central location, either a bureaucrat or a utility company can turn off anything in your house anytime they want to in the name of saving the, the, the environment. They're proposing fuel efficiency standards on automobiles that will make it impossible, impossible for gas powered engines to comply, and so it forces electric vehicles on people. But here's the problem. You know that not one person in America hasn't experienced a power outage. So if you're talking about adding electric vehicles, that means the primary goal is to take private transportation out of the hands for the majority of Americans and push them into public transportation which I can tell you for minority communities, it doesn't work. I mean, if you have 70% of the population that's a single parent and they and more likely live in a community where there's not active employment in that community, you're talking about forcing people into government-dependent subsidies instead of full employment. And that's their primary goal. To make, this is how you bring in socialism. Because what you do is take consumer choices out of the individual's hands and you basically have the government mandating what you can have and what you can. One of the things that's so dangerous mm -hmm. is that all of these climate change policies are increasing the cost of energy. We all know that. But it's also increasing the price of housing so that you're pricing people out of the marketplace in places like California and um, all of the places where you have advanced climate change policies already happening. You have fewer people that are able to buy a average 
average middle-class home. In the rich area, Bay Area, only eight, get this, 8% of African-Americans can buy an average middle-class home. 92% can't buy a home. In California as a whole, only 26% can afford an average middle-class home. That means that what you're doing is creating a bigger wealth gap. And it's actually a way for them to create a two-tier system where you only have rich and you have the poor. And that's what they're doing with these climate change policies. But they're moving at an exponential rate. I mean, they're moving. People do not realize how quickly and how much this is impacting not just one item, not just energy, but every aspect of your life, and people are not paying attention. This is scary uh, because I, I think you're right. You started out with uh, with uh, what I was talking about, that I think people just don't realize we, we kind of drown this stuff out because we think, oh, more of the same, and not realizing uh, that a key point that I think you just made was that these energy policies coming from this administration are costing Americans across the board more money. It's driving up the cost of energy instead of making it cheaper. Now, I understand energy policy is not always designed to drive energy costs up or down per se, uh, but it would always be a great uh, value add if that were in fact the case. And the, the idea that we need to you know, keep switching the way we do our energy and keep moving toward these things uh, I haven't heard the position that this affects certain people more way than others of another way. In the instance you brought up with uh, minority families, I think this is a brilliant point where, you know, let's drive to some uh, black or Hispanic neighborhoods and see how many electric vehicles we see. I don't think we're going to see as many as we might uh, think we would. And it begs the question, why not? If we're supposed to be doing things in the name of equity and equality, then why aren't we seeing these um, equitable and equal outcomes? And I think that we understand why, because this stuff doesn't work. And that's just not how life works. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Here's the thing. Yeah. The medium income of African-Americans is $48,000 a year. That's somebody that's doing well. That's nationwide. So that roughly comes out to about $3,700 a, a month pre-tax income. Can you imagine somebody that's probably taking home roughly $400 a month, buying a $60,000 electric vehicle. They're not. And then here's the other thing. When you have somebody, when you have a community where the primary uh, family structure is a single-parent household, because roughly 70% of black households are single, they don't don't have two incomes. And so, and, and if those families happen to be getting federal subsidies, like they're getting uh, uh, child care, federal child care, or food stamps or something like that, they're barred. So they're prohibited from owning any luxury items. They're only allowed to make, have $2,000 accumulative, accumulative in total assets. You can't have more than that. I mean, that's cash on hands, jewelry, whatever the situation is. So they can't even own those vehicles. So the federal government who already mandates this already knows this. So what was their real objective in trying to push people into electric vehicles? They're actually trying to take public transportation away from people. 
push them into buses, and then and you already know that diseases, the pandemic, people who had a greater infection rate usually took public transportation. They're, they're, you know, these green, real green agenda individuals, activists, their goal is not for zero population growth, it's for negative population growth. And they force mm. people into conditions where you're living in urban, overcrowded situations, public transportation, where if you introduce a disease, you can wipe out a faster amount of population. They're trying to make sure that nobody has the opportunity to own anything. That's the, they're cre- purposely creating mm. a barrier because every time you hear about an environmental regulation, you should ask, how much does this cost? Right. Donna Jackson, I want you to hold on right there if you can, because I think you bring up an excellent point about recreating the way we live and the way we spend. And I want to dig into that, but we have a quick pause coming up. So don't go anywhere. We're on with Donna Jackson from the National Center. Nationalcenter.org is the website. Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back, America. To me, Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Our guest is Donna Jackson. You can check her out at nationalcenter.org. And we were discussing how Biden's energy policy, uh, the Green New Deal, et cetera, uh, those ideas have resulted in enormous spikes in the price of fossil fuels, which are affecting people across the board, in particular, minority families. And I think this is a really interesting point and one that's overlooked. And when you have this unaffordable energy, it means that there is less of an opportunity to have a vibrant middle class, whether that's a middle class inhabited by uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, or, or Asians, or any other minority group. And, and again, just something that we don't hear all uh, that much about when those within the left and the media kind of harp on this fact uh, whenever they can. So I think that's interesting. Donna Jackson, right before the break, you were making a point about this. Go right ahead. Yes. Um, so, you know, what it does is every time they talk about a regulation and every time they propose a regulation, they're increasing the cost. It's always, I always say that, how much does this cost us? And there, that means there, there's more regulators, there's more permits, there's more paperwork. All of these things add and make things more expensive. And so when they create unaffordable energy, energy is just not about what you do when you go to the gas pump. Because everything, everything that we buy, everything we do is heavily in, uh, energy dependent. If you have a manufacturing plant, it's going to be heavily dependent on energy. That increased cost means that everything you buy is going to be more expensive. The other thing is, if you have a population that a large population that doesn't have college degrees, that means when they're fighting fossil fuel, oil production, uh, uh, natural gas, those are high-paying 
blue-collar gateway jobs that are going to cease to exist. And they're re- being replaced by low-cost hospitality. That means that people who would propose, supposedly have those jobs, like a lot of minority communities, that means they no longer have the opportunity for home ownership. Because if you don't have high-paying jobs, you can't buy a home. You can't save. You can't invest. And that's why we have this uh, spiral or this, this kind of wheel of poverty. Because what they're doing is they're increasing cost of living expenses, which disproportionately affects minority communities. But they're also getting rid of jobs, potential jobs, that would make people more self-sufficient. And if, if you remember in this country, mm-hmm. it was it was industrialized jobs that actually created a vibrant black middle class. It was Ford Motor Company, it was Chrysler, all of these. They're eliminating all of that. And so now what you have is no opportunities and increased costs. So with the combination of the two, what you're going to have is more poverty, more people dependent on the government for their uh, subsidence for their mean government dependent. And, and you know, I, I say all the time, there's two ways you, you build a government, war and the poor. And so they, everything that they've done, but you, you've seen them, they, their war on poverty has created more poverty. It's, it, it's, it's, it's this cycle. And this is how you get socialism in, because now you have a middle class that's overtaxed, that has to pay for the poor, and then nobody can win. And we shouldn't have a government that is attacking its own people. That's the problem. And they're hearing from activists, but they're not hearing from people that are impacted in the community. One of the things I told them, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, people, you you hear about inflation and, and increased energy costs, and you hear about people living paycheck to paycheck. I said, that's not what's happening in minority communities. They're leaving paycheck to Wednesday, and then they have to borrow money from family members and friends, get high uh, loans, and then by the time the next paycheck comes up, they're already behind. They're already underwater. So you have people that are drowning in debt, people who are losing their homes, people that can't pay their rent. Their energy poverty in this country is, you know, they, they, the information – The Energy Information Administration did a survey. One in three families can't meet their energy bills. One in five has to forego food and medicine in order to pay their energy bill. That number is twice as high for black and Latino families. So people are making real choices, but they don't let you see that. All the emphasis is on the saving the planet. But what about saving the people? Right. I, I I don't understand where you get a culture and the richest culture in America where people are living worse than a third world condition and people p- close their eyes and act like they don't see it. It's huh. always dangerous. Mm-hmm. Donna Jackson, I just want to remind everybody uh, that you can be found at the nationalcenter.org. Folks who are on with Donna Jackson, she's the membership director at Project 21 over at the National Center. And we're going to continue this conversation on how 
Biden's reckless energy policies are actually costing all Americans more, not the least of which uh, black and brown Americans, minorities in America, are really paying the price and losing the most opportunities. Very fascinating take here. Very interesting stuff. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, on all of the social media. And our phone number, 833-482-5337. Remember, the top of the hour in the next hour, it's Open Phone America, where everybody gets to weigh in. But right now, we're on with Donna Jackson. And Donna Jackson, in the moments we have uh, remaining, I want to get your take on, you know, you, you, obviously you're an expert. You testified before Congress. You, you made some remarkable points uh, that seem to be really backed up well with how Biden's policies are affecting minorities. But I'm curious to know if other policies break down that way as well, because it seems like to me that they might. Uh, what's your thought on how inflation is affecting uh, minority communities? Oh, it's, it's it's really devastating to minority communities. It's a it's a regressive tax. So if you want to tax people without telling them they're taxing people, then you pour extra money in the, in the economy. Um, you, all, you create uh, this hyperinflation, and so then you get an extra tax. That's what it is. And it's you know where the majority of people's money is going for the same items. They're getting less, uh, but they're paying more. And it's always regressive against people who have lower incomes. It's the same as these climate change policies. And if I could do, uh, you know, encourage your audience to mm-hmm. do anything, it's to look into your, talk to your Congress people, have them do some investigations in a lot of these policies, especially like environmental justice. You know, they, they advocated $60 billion just in the Inflation Reduction wow. Act to environmental justice. Okay, they made a lot of noise about the Tulsa riots, the 1923 Tulsa riots that destroyed the black, Black what they call black, yes. Mm -hmm. For that, if you looked at the inflated value of what Black Wall Street costs, you could build 2,000 Black Wall Streets across America, 2,000 of them. That means every black community probably in the United States will be vibrant. The the truth of the matter, you'll never see any of that. All right, folks, that's Donna Jackson, Director of Membership Development for Project 21 uh, at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Donna Jackson, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You bet. My pleasure. All right, don't go anywhere. It's Open Phone America. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, you could get at me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, Twitter. Uh, they're, they're all good. I, I put the, the photos on Instagram, and uh, I, I find I have a lot of fun on Instagram because you could share things to your story, as it's called, uh, pretty easily, and you could see things. And it's the only one where I put, like, you know, whatever adventures I'm currently on. I'll put a few uh, snapshots on there as well. Anyway, welcome to the program. It's hour number three. If this is the first hour you're joining us, welcome. Uh, happy to have you. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES is the phone number. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things tonight. Uh, we're going to recap some of what we talked about in hours number one and two with our wonderful guests. But um, there's other headlines that I want to get into and get your opinions on. So everything's on the table. And while I want you to be as pertinent to the conversation as possible, you know, if we're talking about red and blue, you know, you could talk about colors. But I don't want uh, somebody to say, well, you know, what's interesting is the square root of the number 627. Uh, that doesn't really relate to red or blue. That doesn't mean I won't take the call. It just means I, you know, I want to keep the conversation uh, all across America, this national town hall forum that and during the late night, obviously, uh, focused on what we're talking about. So um, you're welcome to call on any topic. Now, I see that we have calls from Tennessee and Florida and Montana, and I love uh, that you guys are calling in, and, and we're going to get to you in a second. I just wanted to um, put a couple of stories out here, right? We, we talked about the spy balloon. I know a lot of people are all spy ballooned out, but this is a really big deal, and I think it's a big deal because why? Well, obviously, the United States is getting punked here. Right. China is watching us. They're taking the video of us doing nothing. And, you know, our media going berserk over the last uh, week or so talking about this spy balloon and no action being taken until they pretty much did whatever they had to do. And the thing gets shot uh, over out of the sky and into the water during uh, the weekend. So. I think it was a very weak response. There's a lot of questions. You should definitely check out the interview we did with Gordon Chang. If you missed it, check out the podcast. Um, and you can hear any interview if you missed on our podcast, which is a replay of the program, uh, America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, I uh, want you to hear a little bit of that conversation that I had with Gordon Chang right here. Listen to this. I think that we should break off basically almost all contact with China right now. Close their four consulates strip their embassy staff down to nothing, um, start to go after turfing out their state banks, all of these things, because we say to Beijing, look, this is what we did because of your balloon incursion. Imagine what we will do if you do something again. Yeah, exactly it. And and to me, this is problematic. Um, I think uh, Mr. Chang is right. I think we have to be strong in the face of China's aggression. We can't allow people to just fly things over U.S. airspace and just pretend that that's okay and then make the comments that they did following up. I think their um, foreign minister or somebody out in China said, you know what, look, that's preposterous. We didn't do it. It wasn't us. We weren't spying. That was an accident. It was a weather balloon. It was this or was that. If we wanted to spy on the Americans, we'd do what we do all along. We use our satellites. This is problematic that they're taking such a uh, tough guy approach to um, to the United States. And the United States is uh, succumbing as the weak guy in that tough guy approach. And I think that's only going to hurt us in the future. Um, 
Now, Neil, our buddy Neil in Bradford, Tennessee on WCMT, uh, he has a thought on this. Go right ahead, Neil. Hi, Rich. How are you this evening? Wonderful, sir. Nice to hear from you. Over the weekend, I had a friend tell me that they thought that President Biden was uh, so inept and incompetent that he said, and this was my friend's words, not mine, and he said, he said I think Biden almost makes Jimmy Carter look like Reagan. <laughs> For about 30 seconds, I had to kind of retake that one in. And, Rich, I'm 60 years old, and I lived through the Carter and Reagan presidencies. And both gentlemen had different styles of governing approaches. I, I couldn't quite make the connection. I, I think Carter got unfairly blamed for a lot of things that were beyond his control. And I think Mr. Biden is a sick man. He'll be, what, 82 if he runs for re-election next year. Mm. And uh, I think that he – I wish he'd do that. President Truman and LBJ didn't say, look, one term is enough for me. I'm going to retire and spend the remainder of my life in Delaware. But and I wish Mr. Trump wouldn't run. I think they're both too old. And I hope in 2024 both can, uh, both parties will turn to younger candidates and run somebody that has fresh ideas because uh, I just don't think we can afford another four years of Biden and Harris. I'd listen to your first hour's discussion, and I'd like to hear your take on what my buddy said about comparing uh, Biden, saying that he made the Car- uh, Carter look like Reagan. I thought that – I've heard some crazy stuff, but that takes the cake. Yeah. Well, it was humorous. Uh I thought it was very humorous. And look, I I get what he's saying. Uh, I think every situation is unique. And I don't personally um, feel that Joe Biden's too old. I think Joe Biden's too ineffective. And it it may have to do with his age. It may not. I mean, when you look at Joe Biden, he seems to be a slim, trim kind of guy in good shape. He's got his aviator shades. It's more his cognitive ability, his sharpness, his acuity. Those are the things to me that um, I I see lacking. Uh, And of course, his philosophy, his approach to governing. So, uh, I mean, I think when you make these types of uh, comparisons, like your friend did this juxtaposition between Reagan and Carter, I think it's really uh, a question of saying, you know, Carter, you know, who who was a one-term president and didn't get reelected, had this incredibly, uh, what was it called, the Carter uh, the pain index or the misery index uh, during the inflation that, that Reagan had to kind of fix. And again, I, I get it. I think there's there's unfair blame sometimes that goes around. But by and large, I think uh, Carter was weak when it came to Iran, which is why we had the trouble that we had with Iran and the hostages. And I think uh, Reagan had a better approach, a stronger approach. And to me, that made sense. So I think, you know, comparing Trump to Biden, uh, I, I don't see those problems, those failings in Trump. Many people, again, the biggest critique of Trump that people have most times is uh, his, his how ruthless he is in his tweeting, how, how um, you know, they, they want someone that's more, quote unquote, presidential. And, and again, I think if, if you want the status quo, you're going to get somebody that's going to deliver these very polished responses that's always above the fray and, you know, won't, won't ever go there uh, and probably won't get anything done either. Or you get Trump, who's in your face, breaks you know half of the uh, societal norms that they expect of a president, but brings about uh, tremendous results. So I think that's that's where I'm at on that one. Um, and I appreciate the call, Neil. I thank you and your friend for his analogy on that stuff, uh, because I think it's important that we look at those things. But I don't think it's a um, a question of of age as it is as much as it is a question of fitness for the job. Let's go to Missouri on KWOS and check in with Bill in Jefferson City. Bill, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. 
Uh, Rich, uh, have a, today is Reagan's birthday, I found out. Yes, and, it is. Uh, I have a, a little saying that he said concerning inflation that I think is pertinent today, today, as it was when he said it. And here it is. It says, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. What do you think of that? Man, I'll tell you, I, I don't know how, how, you know, if if that's an actual Reagan quote, but if it is, and I'll take your word for it, uh, wow, I think it's spot on. And I think Reagan lived through that stuff. He he felt it happening. He was there when um, they had to do this, you know, what we're doing now, the um, this Volcker approach to, you know, eliminating inflation by triggering, uh, you know, a recession, if you will. And and this is, a, you know, it's a tough place to be, but that's where we are. And I think um, Reagan realize that and realize we got to get out of this and then we got to make sure we don't come back to it. And that lesson seems to have been lost by many, especially those in Washington that have the power of the purse and have spent incessantly. And I think the only answer people ever come up with is, well, well, Trump spent too and the Republicans spent too. Yes, they did. And yes, it's it's too much spending overall. And the, the only pass that I think Trump gets here is he did it when there was an actual pandemic. And he had the medical establishment, you know, I don't want to say tying his hands, but definitely pressuring him to, to pull off this shutdown of the economy. And I think he was public about his, his uh, dissent of that. But, you know, follow the science, follow the science. So he followed the science. They went with this shutdown. And, you know, that's what, what happened. But uh, ultimately, uh, all of the spending that, that came about after the fact, uh, to me, it, this, a lot of this was overkill. And I guess people argue and say, no, Rich, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm also the guy that thinks, did we really need to bail out AIG uh, or even General Motors, you know, uh, with the way we did? And I think there, some of those are structured as loans that were paid back and whatnot. That might be a little bit more acceptable. But I'm a firm believer in if, you know, I, I was in business for myself as a young man. And I'm still a young man, but, you know, really young man. And all I could say was I had to make sure I ran a good business so I could get customers to come back and keep me in business. And and that's just a rule of thumb. And I think if we don't do the right thing, we, we don't, you know, this idea that this one's too big to fail or that's too big to fail, I think that's a falsehood. I think there are plenty of industries that once existed and don't exist anymore. The other day I saw something about the milkman, right? There's no more milkman. There's a guy that brings a bunch of gallons of milk and milk crates to like 7-Eleven, your local supermarket, wherever they bring them to. Uh, but there's not a guy delivering, you know, jars of milk to your home every day. That's That was an industry that, that has gone by the wayside. So was the Iceman, right? If you ever watch old episodes of The Honeymooners like I used to as a kid, um, they had that ice box. There's a block of ice in there in this wooden box, and that's how they refrigerated their food until they came up with electric refrigerators. So, you know, I think, again, is there an Iceman dropping off these big blocks of ice every day or every other day or whatever it took, you know, for them to last? No. So ultimately... I think, you know, the free market is the answer. You have to let the market dictate and decide things. But yeah, the Reagan quote, spot on. Thank you, Bill. I'm Rich Valdez. Your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
I think for sure the uh, discussion, uh, I think one, one item of interest to me, which I'm sure is uh, under discussion is exactly what is the sensor suite on this uh, balloon. I'm kind of inclined to believe the Chinese that this thing uh, is errant, it wandered off uh, course. Uh, I think they haven't been entirely forthcoming with what's, uh, what's on it in the way of a sensor suite. Uh, the, the Chinese, as others have pointed out, have a very capable overhead reconnaissance satellite system that can give them all the intelligence they need. And uh, having had some personal experience with using balloons for intelligence collection, they're not real efficient. All right. So that's uh, General James Clapper. He was the um, I think he was the DNI before um, uh, Ratcliffe, uh, man. I never liked this guy. He's just, I mean, what I heard him say amounted to that, you know, yeah, yeah, I believe China. I'll take them at their word. (laughs) What is wrong with this guy? I mean, but again, there there are people that are of a different ilk, I guess, that that just see things differently than the rest of us do. And, And it's okay. I don't like him because he, I don't dislike him because he disagrees with me. I dislike him because I think he's dishonest. I don't believe what he's saying to be true. I think that anybody with, with their head screwed on straight realizes that um, this was not a, a weather balloon or even a spy balloon that wandered off track. I don't think you end up um, anywhere, especially the interior of the I – mean, how does wandering off track work? You know, if you're running a spy balloon and you're like, all right, you were spying, we are spying, we're spying, we're spying – and all of a sudden now you're going to go and say, oh, no, no, you know what? We're not spying anymore. We're off track here. Isn't somebody watching this to say, hey, let's let our friends know in the U.S. before they shoot this thing out of the sky and, you know, get crazy on us. Let's let them know that this is happening. No, but that's not the case, right? N- that never happened. It, it just did not happen. And I think this this is part of uh, the, the problem that we have. Anyway, I want to um, continue with your calls. Let us see here. Let's go to... Uh, was it Tennessee? We did that one. Do, 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 do. I want to go to right here, Barry. Barry in Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Barry, welcome. How you doing, Rich? Thank you very much. Wonderful. You Thank know, you. The, the, balloon, the balloon story is kind of scary and concerning mm-hmm. for me. Because me too. It's been, it was over a week, and they finally shot it down. What happens if a missile comes? And it takes a half hour to get here. Who's going to? I'm not sure who's in charge, uh, and and who's who's going to make the decisions. Barry, it's that's exactly the, the point. Right, exactly. It's supposed to be the president, and I think this is exactly their point. They wanted to sow doubt in in the minds of Americans that are awake and paying attention. They wanted to sow doubt in the minds of foreigners that are watching these onlookers that they can now say, look. We flew a balloon, let alone a missile. We flew a balloon in there. They did nothing. These guys aren't prepared. They're a paper tiger. They're weak. They don't have the military they claim to have. And, and they're, they're going to do this to, to posture and look strong. And one of the things Gordon Chang pointed out, which I think is, is a valuable argument, was that they might be doing this just for the immediate leverage of getting the United States to back off of reconnaissance flights that they're doing where um, in the South China Sea and along the outskirts of, of – uh, of the operations down there and trying to get him to slow down. So they figured let's put our own threat out there uh, or our own situation out there that we could use as leverage. 
I don't know the answer to any of these. All I know is these all the things that he mentioned were sounded appropriate to me. And I got to think in, you know, just in the world of common sense, this doesn't look good. And if you're trying to make the United States look weak, you're doing a good job. Right. So uh, I guess China wins around here. And uh, I don't think we we won anything. No extra points for shooting this thing out of the sky. You know, I don't know, five days after the fact that we knew about it. Now we know it's even longer than that. So I think you bring up a great point, Barry. Um, and I don't know. I just don't know the answer. But I my hope is that we will be able to, you know, keep it moving. Anyway, thank you, Barry. KNCO, big shout out to everybody in California. Let us continue to Dave in Ash Flat, Arkansas. Now, listen, I don't know if you've heard of Ash Flat, Arkansas, uh, but he's on uh, KSAR listening out of uh, Missouri. But... Um, I hear it's a very, very populated place. Wink, wink. Dave, welcome. <laughs> Am I on? You are. Rich, hey, I just wanted to take a minute, maybe take a uh, just a quick little change of pace and say thank you so very much for what you do. Um, I mean, I, I haven't heard of you uh, for long. Uh, from what I understand, you've been doing this quite a while. Um, uh, started tuning in to you and listening to you since you took over for uh, Jimbo and everything and uh, just listening, listening. And I have to tell you, um, the way you run your show and the way you're so gracious to your guests, even the ones you disagree with or have different opinions with, it, it's a pleasure to listen to. The reason I, I called is this um, guest you just had, Donna Jackson. Yep. That was a fantastic interview. Um, because her, her she's terrific. also in the way you guys go ahead. No, I was just saying she's terrific. I thought she was excellent. Oh, no, she's excellent. And in the way, um, you guys had your back and forth and everything. Um, I love the way she spoke and she was just calm and articulate and everything. And it really allows you to listen and maybe say, let's see what she has to say about certain subjects. And then you guys had this conversation and it was very eye-opening, and I just really much enjoyed it. And that came on the heels of all your fantastic guests you've had in the last week. Um, oh, you thank you for that, Dave. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I think it's important that we do use this long-form format to get as much out there as we can, and I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody in Ash Flat, Arkansas, population 1,100. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Talk to you soon. More to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I say all the time, there's two ways you, be, you build a government, war and the poor. And so they, everything that they've done, but you, you've seen them, they, their war on poverty has created more poverty. That is Donna Jackson from Project 21 at thenationalcenter.org. Check them out. Great conversation that we had. If you want to listen to the full conversation, it's free. You just Google it. Um, what's it called? It's called America at Night. Rich Valdez. Check it out. You can listen to every single show since the beginning of uh, the program and uh, listen to those recordings, the podcasts, however you get your um, podcast 
shows. You could subscribe and listen to it and enjoy it. Um, I'm hoping that you will. Now, Donna Jackson was uh, was really informative and brought a lot to the table in that conversation. And we got a number of people that are calling in uh, with uh, but praise for her and questions for her and whatnot. And we're going to start with John in Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. Hey, John, you're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, it's, it's really is an honor. I'm a disabled veteran. And thank I you for your really service. The honor is mine. Well, thank you. You're more I than welcome. That. I did all over again. <clears throat> anyway. Yes, sir. The reason why I called was how do we take away the power of these people who are pushing this green agenda and using that as a way to destroy the middle class? Uh, one of the ways uh, I think a major factor would be to take away the power of the banks who are behind a lot of this ESG stuff and the, the mm-hmm. global warming agenda. And that would be to move as much of your accounts away from the banks and put them in a credit union. Take away I their think power. That's brilliant. Power of the purse. Absolutely brilliant. I think it's a, I think that we need to use our power of the purse. We need to use our our our, our own voting. We need to use our own soapbox however we can. I think it's a brilliant idea. And uh, probably one I'll, I'll look into in, in, in my own real life to make sure. Because I know that there's there's, um, there's a BlackRock and some of these other big firms that are really pushing this agenda. And, and you're right. And these are the same people that, whether you like these people or not, when people come out against them or against anything they don't agree with, they're more than happy to – to shake you down and, and eliminate your account. I know that there was an issue a couple of months ago with PayPal saying, you know, if we don't like your whatever, you know, your new, new terms of service that were could be interpreted politically, could be interpreted in terms of censorship. And when people pushed back and there were some media reports about it, they immediately said, no, that was a draft of a policy we were considering, but we decided not to implement it. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of blew over. But lo and behold, you know, I think that, follow up to that article was that they're going to do it. So John, I think, yeah, I think you're spot on. You have to, to fight back with every tool that you've got. What else you got up your sleeve, John? That, that, that was pr- pretty much it. And well, uh, <clears throat> with regards to that balloon situation, hmm. there is no doubt in my mind that we are being bracketed by the Chinese. They're studying our every reaction to everything and uh, they were gathering probably intel, uh, particularly on our ICBM sites. It looks like we're losing you there, John, but you're 100% right. Again, thank you for your service, and I think you're on the right track. We definitely have to take our money away from banks, move them to smaller banks, community banks, credit unions, and the like that aren't in, in bed with, uh, we'll call them big bank, <laughs> right? Because big bank is no bueno, lamentably. Uh, that's where we are. We've got to be very, very careful with how we uh, make our investments, where we spend our money, and who we align ourselves with. Let us uh, continue this conversation and go to Ron in St. Joseph, Missouri, listening on KMA out of Iowa. What's up, Ron? Uh, hi, Rick, and good to hear your voice. And uh, Thank you, sir. I really enjoyed uh, listening to, to Donna Jackson. And I Just have one terrific. question I'd like your opinion about. Mm-hmm. One thing I seldom, if ever, hear about is when people are poor and they're living in crowded conditions and they say there are no jobs, I never hear anyone suggest that they move to where the jobs are. Why is that, and what do you think of that? Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's a, 
it's, it's America at its finest, right? Uh, 1849 gold rush. They said there was gold in California. Everybody ran across the country to go get some gold. Uh, th- to me, that is how it is. Even post-Civil War, you know, um, the economist Thomas Sowell o- often points out how well black families from the South did once they moved to the North because they were able to take whatever work that came their way even sub-minimum wage work, and they were able to lift themselves out of poverty by their bootstraps, by uh, becoming shoe shiners, whatever it was, they were earning a wage. And in that, you know, post-antebellum period of American history. So I think, you know, you're, you're right. You have to go where the jobs are. We see this happening at the border every single day and not, not you know, I'm giving any accolades to what's happening there. I think we need to shut the border down. But it's always been kind of human nature to go where the jobs are. And it's fascinating. Something she talked about that I could spend an hour on is she said that the way that they're designing neighborhoods and and whatnot using environmental policy, and she said keeping us you know out of cars and on the bus. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that, and they're doing it in a number of places. And you know, living in I live in Jersey now. Um, I can tell you, I there's a big mall not far from me, and I just read in the paper recently that they're going to be building a small city around the mall. Like an apartment complex, I don't know, tens of thousands of new residents around a mall, which is in a very commercial area. And the idea is that we're going to create a a place where people can live and work and play all in one. No bus, no nothing, right? They're going to put a park in there. They're they're trying to create these isolated communities where – and she she made the the point that, you know, should there ever be some sort of – um, illness or disease that was released into a population, it would be easier to spread it because they're so concentrated. I, I just think of it in terms of redesigning how people live. And instead of buying, you know, the American dream beca- once was to become a homeowner, uh, you know, you own a home in a, in a middle-class neighborhood, there, there seems to be an elimination of this middle class or at least a redefinition of, of that middle class. So when people are going to go where the jobs are, Again, if you're taking transportation away by saying, well, you can't drive this car, this doesn't meet the standard, blah, 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 it's going to phase out, we can't use that, it's too too much fossil fuel, you end up on a bus or a train, and if your bus or train doesn't get you where you got to go, now it's difficult. And this is a problem so many of what they call the working poor face is that they have to live in one area because that's all they can afford to do or that's the only place they can afford to live. And they have to get to another area where the job is, but they can't afford to live in that area where the job is. And so they spend a good portion of their money on transportation. And I've seen that happen, and it's it's an unfortunate thing. But it's interesting to see how this is playing out. So I think there will be a certain amount of jobs available in these new little communities they're building around this particular shopping mall. And I guess they'll pilot that and say, look at how good we did in New Jersey. We're going to do this everywhere. And I think they're doing it with – Simon Malls or one of those big mall companies. Um, and if I find the article, I'll put it out on social media. But excellent question because I think um, it, it leads to the overall approach of how government is, I won't say serving the people, but serving themselves, creating these communities of taxable income where they, they feel that they're going to thrive. And people living this new version of the American dream where they have an apartment that's maybe subsidized or partially paid for by the government. And that's where they're at. So, yeah, I think your guess is as good as mine, Ron, but that's my thought on it. I appreciate the call from KMA in Iowa, and you're in Missouri. Big shout-out to everybody out there. And don't go anywhere, folks. There is more to come straight ahead, your calls and more. And listen to this. Will it be first class or coach the next time you go to? No, not to an airline. 
to a movie theater. They're thinking of giving uh, a new cost for the better seat in the house. And we're going to dig into that and get your reactions to it straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all of the social media. If you want to chime in online, feel free. It's at Rich Valdez. And I want to um, give you this headline. Listen to this. AMC theaters to change movie ticket prices based on seat location. At your next visit to AMC theaters, getting a prime seat might cost you a little extra. The country's largest exhibition chain is rolling out Sightline at AMC, a ticket pricing initiative based on seat location within the auditorium. Similar to music, concerts, sporting events, or Broadway, moviegoers will have the option to pay more or less for admission depending on where they choose to sit in the venue. In effect, front row seats will be available at a lower price, while seats in the middle of the theater will be available at a higher price. The initiative kicks off this Friday at select AMC locations in New York, Chicago, Kansas City, and others will be expanded eventually across all domestic AMC locations by the end of the year. So... That's where they are. Again, they make it sound pretty innocuous, like, hey, a best seat's going to cost you this and that. Um, listen, I, I think that's inevitable because that's the way everybody's gone. But you got to figure out the, the hack on these things, right? So, that, you know, ultimately, they'll, they'll try to keep, in this situation, their sightline, listen to this, sightline at AMC is applied to all showtimes that begin after 4 p.m. at participating locations. It's not applicable to... Uh, discount Tuesdays when all movie tickets are discounted to five bucks. So I think uh, similar to like, you know, this weekend I took a, um, a flight um, on one airline, which was really good, by the way, it was American airlines, a really good flight uh, going into Florida. And then coming back, it was uh, a different one. I had booked it through Expedia and they gave me something else. It was all right too on the way home, but they asked me if you want extra leg room, um, you know, those emergency aisle seats, then you you, um, you have to bid on it, and whoever's the highest bidder gets the the seat. So I thought to myself, I said, I wonder how many people are going to do it. And they, they they have a recommended bid that they give you to get the extra legroom. And I'm thinking, all right. And I was like, you know what? I'm going with the minimal bid to get in the game. And you know, I think it was seven dollars. I was like, if I'll give them seven bucks for their legroom. If not, whatever. Somebody outbids me, no problem. So somebody did outbid me, and they sent me an email saying, sorry, you're out. And then like five minutes before the plane was like, before I got on the plane, they said, we've accepted your offer for seven bucks and you've got the extra leg room. And I said, look at that. And I had a feeling when I did it, I was going to get it. And I realized it's, why would any company walk away from an opportunity to make more money? So they're going to hold on to it as long as they can. You're going on the flight anyway. It's a bid. It's not a, a, a purchase until you actually get it. So they figure... Let's go for it. And it was brilliant, I thought, you know, for them to make that money. And my strategy of going with the lowest bid worked out as well. So I'm wondering if that's going to be the case with movies. Could you go, well, you know, I'd like the middle row, but, you know, for that for that nicely elevated center part of the middle row, the best part of the theater, you know, I'm willing to pay this. I'm wondering if it'll, they'll dictate the cost or if you could actually have a competitive bid 
and see how that works out. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting story because I could see this being applied in many other places. Like this is your base, but we also have the upgraded model, the upgraded seat, the upgraded experience, the upgraded whatever. Anyway, I'm going to get to your thoughts on that and more. Uh, let's go to Matt in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Matt, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. What do you think about this movie theater stuff? Well, I really don't care. It doesn't apply to me because I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm not really in Moorhead City. But I want to talk about the uh, spy balloon, if you would, quickly. Sure. We'll get that. But I'm just curious to know, what, do you think it's fair or unfair that the movie theater will charge you more based on where you're sitting? No, I think it's capitalism. I mean, it's I have right. no problem with it. Kind of like the I, free I, market I in action, it. right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and if you don't like it, you don't go. <laughs> exactly. I mean, anyway, I what's mean, on your mind with the balloon? The spy balloon thing. Okay. First of all, you know, it was citizens that called NORAD, not you know, a citizen right. saw, the, saw the spy balloon first. I guess you know all that. You're a newsman. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying, I, I just, it doesn't mean that the government didn't know. It just means the government didn't say anything. Yeah, right. And they didn't do anything until it went, went off the coast because they were exactly. worried about somebody getting hit by the debris. Yeah, that's great. But then Biden claiming he ordered it shot down days earlier. Well, you know, what I say is, we need Trump back. All my friends, which number in the thousands, voted for Trump except for one. And he's not too happy right now with his gas prices. He voted for Biden. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, brother, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I would love to see um, those Trump-era policies, Trump-era gas prices, Trump-era inflation. Uh, it was 1.5%, right? Uh, Trump-era um, even uh, the tax receivables that the when the Trump tax cuts were in effect, and he's given tax cuts to the rich, uh, they seem to help a lot of people, not just the rich. So I'm, I would love to see so much of that back, and, and I think there's a lot of Americans that do. And you know, time will tell what happens there. But it, it is interesting, and you're and you're right. It's up to we the people to say, you know, this doesn't look good. This looks a little fishy. I don't think this is the right thing. We should get involved. And that's how sometimes you blow the doors off of the blow the lid off of something that is um, going on that shouldn't be going on. And clearly, when China has a spy balloon in the United States, that shouldn't be going on. And our government should be all over it. Matt, who's not technically in Moorhead City, but listening on WTKF. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your call. I'm going to get to some more of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, and uh, we're going to wrap up with your calls. I just want to say that the uh, Grammy Awards, I know most people are, I don't care about the Grammys. I don't care if they're, I always enjoy the Grammys. Hate me if you will, but I really do. I actually threw a big Grammys party in New York City a couple of years ago, um, uh, 2018, and uh, it was a really good time. Uh, I, I do, uh, I, I love good music, but um, 
we'll talk about some of those questionable performances at the Grammys tomorrow because there was one where there was some like de- demonic uh, themes. But I want to get to your calls before we run out of time. Let us go to Sarah in Bedford, Indiana. Quickly, WBIW. Hey, great show. Real quick about that Chinese satellite or whatever mm. the heck it was. He shot it down, last-minute face-saving gesture. It's had plenty of time to transmit whatever sensitive right. images back to China. And, you know, there's weather balloons all the time getting sent up, and they don't worry about them falling out of the sky. Tornadoes suck up stuff. I've seen it, and you can find it in your woods from a county over. No one worries about that. He had plenty of time. In fact, I'll bet you if people hadn't had such an uproar, he wouldn't have shot it down. So thanks I think for you're right, Sarah. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your compliment. I appreciate it, and I think you're right. This was totally... Uh, Again, um, the the government saying, all right, the, the people are putting pressure on us. we got to do something. The question is, did Biden really request it on Wednesday or not? That's I'm, I'm really curious to know how that ends up. Let us go to Sean. He's on the road near Pittsburgh, KDKA. Quickly, sir. Yes, I was wondering how many times have we had balloons up there that we didn't know about? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think, you know, we've got to find out what is our policy on looking at balloons? I know that somebody said, oh, this happened under during the Trump years many times and nobody took action on this and whatnot. And that turned out to be a lie. And, you know, several members of the uh, national security and defense apparatus uh, during the Trump years went out there to defend their own reputation, saying, no, that just didn't happen. This, you know, we just found this stuff overnight type of thing, you know, after the fact uh, was a bunch of BS, it seems to me. But you're right. We got to keep an eye on this and stop letting people in our government allow this to happen. Sean on KDK. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And let's go to Charles in Montgomery, Alabama, listening on the Internet. Go right ahead, sir. Again, I mean, excuse me. Again, uh, very good job. Uh, your Thank you. Straight on. I didn't mean to call you Art. I apologize. Number <laughs> one on those theater tickets. If you're a teenager and you have your girlfriend with you, you want you're going to want to sit in the very back of the theater so you can <laughs> smooch it in the back seat of the movie theater. You know, Charles, I'm guilty as charged. I, I have done that. That's probably why I love the movies as much as I do today as a grown up. Um, I had a lot of fun as a teenager. The movies was one of the places you went and whatnot. But, yeah, I think you're right. And, and I guess they'll probably pay the cheaper seats, right? Maybe all the way in the back, the nosebleeds are a little bit less than uh, the um, than that coveted center area, the orchestra section, if you will. Uh, we'll find out what happens as that rolls out on Friday. Charles, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Until the next time, hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.